All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fair Chase Podcast. We're happy that you're here. We're happy that you're ready to start learning. Before we dive into this episode, you know, we got to talk about a few companies that help make this possible and some of the companies that we back personally because we believe in them. Now, first up is HuntWise. There's a lot of mapping software and apps out there, and the best one that we think is is definitely HuntWise. I mean, they've got so many cool features that some of the other ones don't have, especially this HuntCast that we use every single time before we go out in the woods. Our, I mean, our time is precious. we got to know when's the best time to go out. And instead of searching around on all the, the weather sites and checking out all the details, you can go right to the HuntWise app, put it in your location, and you're getting local wind, local predictions based on where your stands actually are, and it helps you actually choose the best stand so you're not wasting any time and you can get right in there and hunt that buck you're after. Go visit HuntWise.com. So James and I have shot different bows from different manufacturers, and we all, every time we shoot them, we always go back to primes the reason is they're just so shootable and we're just so accurate with them they're super stable and they just came out with the new revix 2 4 and 6 is their brand new bow for 2023 hunting season g5prime.com so next up we got vector arrows this is a company that has just blown me away with their ability to help the customer out. Basically, you don't have to go through and, and find your shaft weight and spine strength charts anymore. You don't gotta deal with any of that. Basically, you go to the website, you put in your draw weight, your draw length, your tip weight, and they basically build the perfect arrow for you. No guessing, no questions. And then you can customize them. They got a bunch of different options. You can shoot the HMR or the ZMR. These things are sweet and they seriously are some of the best arrows in the industry. And they've got a zero failure guarantee. So if you break it or bend it, they're gonna replace it. So if you wanna save yourself 10% on that, head over to Vector Custom Shop and use the code TFC10. There's been a lot of hype around tree saddles. Some of you might be hesitant to even try one. These things are awesome. If you ever wanted to try one, Trophy Line Tree Saddles make the best saddles in the industry. They're super comfortable, they're adjustable, and the new Venatic saddle, we were able to get our hands on it a couple months ago and it just seriously blew us away. So if you want to get into the saddle game, go over to trophyline.com. You can save yourself 10%, use the code TFC10, get into the saddle game, it's gonna change the way you hunt. James and I like to go tromp around on public land and one way we're able to do that is to have good footwear. Uh, we used to lug around in, in rubber boots, and by the end of the day, we'd have sore feet, and it'd be, it'd be a mess. But we finally decided to get some good boots and partnered with Lathrop & Sons. These boots are so nice. They fit your foot perfectly. They've got Synergy foot pads that are made to you know, form around your foot. These guys take the time. There's years and years of research and design and how to create the most comfortable boot. Go check out Lathrop & Sons. Last but not least, Vortex Optics. These guys have some of the best glass in the industry. Binoculars, rangefinders, spotter scopes. We love them. We've got it on our rifles. We use our rangefinder all the time. They also make clothing lines every quarter. James and I are practically wearing a piece of Vortex apparel every day. Everything is high quality. They come out with new items usually every quarter. So spring, summer, winter, fall, they've got new lines and new clothing coming out. Check this stuff out. And if you want to save yourself 20%, head over to Vortex.com, head to the apparel page, and save 20% with TFC20. Welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase Podcast. Today, I've got a special guest. I do say that every week, but I do have a lot of special guests. But Josh Smith, uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. 
So Josh, um, I know what you do, um, but maybe our listeners don't. Um, so can you tell everybody a little bit who you are, uh, what you do for a, a, like your daily job? Yeah, uh, I, uh, I'm the president of Montana Knife Company, uh, founded, founded Montana Knife Company. Um, I was a knife maker for, custom knife maker for years, starting from a little kid. And then uh, I went, kind of went from that career after about 10 years of full-time um, and then in my thirties, I went and became a, a lineman for the power company. Um, <clears throat> kind of went after the, the corporate job paid vacation benefits thing. And all, all the while had the, the idea of this company. So I started this actually in COVID year of 2020, um, started making product prototypes in 2019 and then really got serious about it in 2020. So, uh, hasn't been, hasn't been very long, but we've kind of blown up. So it's, it's been pretty exciting. And, uh, it's, it's funny. You asked me like what I do for my daily job. And it's, I always think to myself, well, I don't, I don't have a job anymore. I quit my job. <laughs> right. This, uh, when you do something you love, it doesn't seem like a job. Well, Montana knife companies and it was interesting because I hadn't heard of it. And then it felt like it had been around forever. Instantly. It's like, you went from, I didn't know of you to, Oh, it's like, Oh, you guys have been around forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird that way. I have a lot of people say that it even seems to me like we've been around longer than we have just because I've been around forever. Um, yeah, I started making, I was when I was 11 and I'm 41. So, uh, I've been around a long time. I've hunted my whole life. Um, I talked about Montana knife company to my friends and the idea of it, you know, I registered the name Montana knife company when I was 19, uh, oh, but I really, but I didn't launch it until I was 39. So, it's kind of, I guess, technically have been around forever, but no, no one knew about it, you know? So it's, yeah. it was living in my head. Well, it's funny you say that. I've got, <clears throat> getting ready for this podcast, I've got a 10-year-old daughter. My wife and I were talking talking to her or whatever, um, and I had I was explaining, I was having you on, and uh, that you had been making knives since you were about her age, because I had seen a video or something. And that was very interesting to her, because it's like, wait, he was 11 and he was making knives. So, yeah. so like, how'd you get into doing something like that? Yeah. My, my little league baseball coach started teaching me. Uh, <clears throat> he would bring, he, he was actually an outfitter. Um, and he, he would make knives kind of on the side part-time and he'd bring his hunting knives to practice and show the dads, you know, and I'm growing up in a small town in Montana. So, um, you know, most guys in those towns hunt and, like knives and stuff like that so of course being an 11 year old boy I thought they were awesome so uh, my parents bought me one of his knives for Christmas that year and then uh, he invited me up to his shop that uh, about probably about this time or, or so maybe January right after that Christmas and I made a knife so uh, you know I made a couple up there two or three probably and then I think it was probably his way of getting rid of me he told me if you want to be a knife maker you got to have your own shop so I started buying tools and equipment and started building my own shop, you know, when I was 12. So, and the rest is history kind of. Yeah. 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 I had a lawn mowing business, I, you know, I'd make money for that. And then my folks owned an excavation business. So I worked in that, you know, they were super supportive. They, you know, my dad didn't make knives or hunt actually. Um, we pretty much just worked, but uh, yeah, I was super fortunate. I had, you know, Rick teaching me to make knives and then there was a couple other guys in our town uh, that 
you know, I don't know why all these guys took a liking to me, but they offered to take me hunting. So I kind of grew up learning how to hunt from just a couple random guys in town that were super good, good guys that would take me up in the mountains and show me how to elk hunt or deer hunt and stuff like that. So it was, it was kind of cool looking back on it, you know, as a kid, I just took it for granted. It just was normal. Now that I've got kids that age and, and older, it's definitely not normal. You know, it's cool that they did that. Yeah, you. I, I, we, we talk about this a lot. You look back on uh, certain people um, that mm-hmm. definitely took time and poured into you in your life, and that that makes a huge difference. And looking at it now, I, I mean, I get it. Like any, if I had, you know, I've got eleven year old nephew, and he likes to hunt. So anytime he's willing to go, I'm willing to take him for whatever reason. Exciting, it's exciting to me. But um, so you you've been making knives for a long time i would imagine you've made all sorts of shapes and sizes i think i saw on your website some like fancy knives and like yeah um you ever made a sword oh yeah yeah i made a uh i made a couple swords um it, that was that's a whole nother long story but i i made a, a couple swords for a sheikh in abu dhabi uh he actually flew me to london to look at a museum and a or a sword in a museum over there the wallace collection and then he I built that. He flew me to Istanbul, Turkey, and then he also flew me to the United Arab Emirates to deliver it. So, so he flew you around to see different types of swords that he liked. Yeah, he he was really into the historical swords from his region, from that Arab region, and you know he wasn't he really loved my work, but he didn't he he wanted his uh, you know more historically correct you know, swords that, that applied to his region. You know, he didn't care about a Bowie knife. He didn't care who Jim Bowie was. Um, <clears throat> you know, he wanted a knife or a sword that was, was originally, uh, you know, from that Arab region, that Persian region. So yeah, he flew me to the walls collection to show me a sword in particular. We got, got a private room in the museum, got the white gloves and I got to <clears throat> measure it and do all these things and handle it in a private room. It was really a cool experience. Excuse Interesting. Me. <laughs> sorry about that i got a frog in my throat no no worries so that's wild so how how did this guy you said a sheik of course it was a sheik yeah yeah he uh <clears throat> he he contacted me through he had a guy that was working for him and you know the guy sent me an email you know and this was really pre-social media um mate ah facebook was just becoming a thing but um he sent me an email saying uh, you know, my friend would like you to build him a sword. And he sent a picture of the sword. And I wrote back and said, yeah, I, I don't make swords. I'm not a sword maker. And, you know, here, here's a couple names of a couple guys like Vince Evans, who is famous for making swords. I said, you know, here's his phone number, call him. Uh, you know, well, he kept pestering me and I, I wrote back again and said, uh, you know, even if I was to make that sword, it'd be very costly. Like that's a very fancy sword, very in in depth. And he just kept saying, well, my friend would like you to do it. And again, there's kind of a long story here, but what ended up happening is he, he talked me into making him some steel samples. And again, I didn't know who I was working for. And about seven days before I was supposed to ship the samples, they asked if I could just come to London. And so they bought me a first class ticket to London. <clears throat> man um bought me a first class ticket to london and uh uh you know so the night before i left finally I asked this guy i'm like who who am i coming to meet because like this is this is kind of getting ridiculous and so then he told me and 
the guy was super nice. Um, he was probably about 35, 36 years old. Um, spoke perfect English and a very, very nice guy. Um, so yeah, I met him at the Capitol Hotel in London and him and his bodyguards took me to the Wallace collection and it, it was kind of a really wild experience. But, uh, and then he flew me to Istanbul, in Istanbul, Turkey to look at another sword. But there was a changeover in government that year. Uh, Turkey had changed government and United Arab Emirates didn't have their connections set up yet. And so the <laughs> a, a representative of theirs from the consulate picked me up and I had an armed guard drive me around in an armed Mercedes for like four days. And we went to the top Kapi palace there in Istanbul. And I never did get to actually put my hands on the sword. You know, they were trying to set up for me to be able to view it in a private room. And I ended up flying home, never having got to hold it. I got to see it through the glass like a tourist. And uh, <laughs> Shea Comet was pissed about that because they just didn't have their connections set up. Um, but then he flew my ex-wife and I to Abu Dhabi and we were his guest in Abu Dhabi for a week. Uh, did a big hunting show there. His brother's president of the country. His dad started the country, but his brother put on a huge hunting show. And I was uh, kind of a guest of honor at that. And it was wild because it was very similar to the size of like an SCI show. Yeah. Or a Western Hunt Expo. Uh, all around hunting. And this was actually back in probably 2007, like height of the Iraq war. And, uh, you know, I was worried about our safety and this and that, which actually is like found out Abu Dhabi and Dubai were incredible, super safe, really yeah. cool place to go. But uh, um, this hunting show was interesting because here, all of our hunting shows revolve around how do you stay warm? How do you stay dry? Yeah. You know, camo, <laughs> right. stuff like that. Everything at their hunting show was how do you keep your like the sand out of your shit? And, oh, how do, sure. <laughs> and how do you like how do you keep water cool it was all and it was all based around mostly around falconry oh, so they right. had thousands of falcons displayed every booth was selling falcons and these shakes would walk up to a booth and they would point at a falcon and they'd get a falcon out and they'd let it go and it would fly around that room and then it would come back to them and these guys were buying falcons for their falconry. It was really a cool show. Honestly. I wonder if that's like the Mongolian influence coming from the east, or how that how that came in. We've had a one falconer on. He would he catches his every year and then lets him go. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it was uh, falconry over there is huge, and um, between that and then there was definitely a lot of you know like sheep and goat hunters. Um, yeah. You know, but. Uh, from the, the Afghanistan region and all that stuff. But uh, it was a really cool experience. Um, honestly, I kind of wish I was older when I went. You know, I was in my early 20s, and I don't think I soaked it in really like I would today. But it was honestly, it was all just kind of surreal. At what point? Because, like, I, I feel like my my thought would be, is this real? Like, somebody's messaging. Is somebody, when is somebody going to pop out and, like, it's a joke? Like, at what point did you actually, like, did you think it wasn't, like, a trick or anything like that? All the way until I got on the plane, because they didn't even send me my plane ticket in a regular way. They had the plane ticket waiting for me at the airport. And when I got to the airport, the the gate, the uh, guy at the at the ticket counter was like, yeah, dude, you're supposed to bring your ticket to the airport. And I was like, well, I, I know, but they say there's a ticket here. And we had to do some like figure checking around. And he's like, oh, yeah, here it is. Oh, yeah, it's first class 
British Airways all the way to to London. And I was like, well, this must be real because somebody bought me a freaking first class plane ticket. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I actually I actually sat in the the uh Capitol Hotel lobby. I was supposed to meet him at one in the afternoon and I sat there till about four, four thirty, and nobody was showing up. And I was I was thinking, man, if if I'm being punked right now, like that first class plane ticket costs them a lot of money to do it. Like I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. They flew Somebody's committed. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, finally the guy walked in and Hussein was his, uh, his, his guy that kind of had been commuting with, com- uh, communicating with super nice guy, white guy. Uh, Hussein, he comes in, he's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, his highness was meeting with the Chinese and the Chinese meetings always go long. And, uh, he's like, all he wants, all his highness wants to do is go talk about swords. He's like, so let's go. And I was like, all right. And, you know, I was like, this is really strange. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that is, uh, that's hilarious. So that you made it. So now I'm making hunting knives. So if, I don't know if that makes any sense. It but, totally makes sense. You yeah. know, you just a winding road that gets you where you are. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I figured, you know, I don't know why that came to mind when I was kind of thinking about this podcast. I'm like, I need to ask him about swords. Cause I remember as a kid, it was like, I, if I could make a sword, you know, if I'm like a 12 year old or whatever, I could have an actual sword king of the, uh, king of the neighborhood instantly. Well, you think about, uh, you know, back in the old days, you know, you watch all these movies like Braveheart or whatever, and there's, you know, nine year, eight year olds running around with, with wooden swords. And then, by the time you're 13, you've got an actual sword. And, uh, I, I think deep down in our DNA, that's why we all like, if you just hand two, two little boys, a stick, yeah, they're going to, they're going to go to sword fighting with that thing guaranteed. Uh, yeah, I, I think every little boy when they were 13 or 12 would have wanted a sword for sure. Oh yeah. And you always get a sharp in the end for poking, yeah, you know, for sure. Make yep. it as dangerous as possible. That's right. That's that was my whole life growing up. That was the coolest thing. You know, that was the epitome of uh, my technology back in the day. I think that's it's so a cool. lot of little boys are missing these days. Is uh, you know that ability to just go outside and play and sword fight with each other and stab each other and oh yeah. Know. Well, I would get in trouble because we kind of did that. Right? I would steered away from it and so i was given these uh wiffle ball bats and so i did a lot of epic sword fights even with wiffle ball bats and my brothers i would get the big red one and they'd have the skinny yellow kinds so you could just yeah. i mean <clears throat> smoke them with that yeah. yeah so um you know i i explained uh at the beginning of uh, kind of prior to this uh we're in this uh hunting stories series and so <clears throat> you know with that in mind let's let's move into it um like i said uh, prior to the show, uh, this series is about you know great hunting stories. It's one of the things we're most interested here uh, at the fair in at, at the fair chase. Just one of our favorite things about hunting and kind of talking about hunting is to hear about the incredible things um, that people just get themselves into when they go into the woods. Um, and so, as you can imagine, we've had people on telling stories from all over the country, all types of animals, all great stories. So, um, Josh, when I ask like when i ask you what's like what comes to mind when you think of a great hunting story you've been a part of uh what comes to mind yeah you know it's interesting uh i was telling somebody the other day i i'm not like the most accomplished hunter but i've i've gotten to do a few cool hunts when i was 19 um as soon as i graduated high school before i graduated i'd put money down on a moose hunt in canada uh so i went up <laughs> went up to alberta and and did a moose hunt um 
I think I was, I was actually 20 because it was, I remember being quite nervous. Uh, it was about a week after nine 11 that I crossed the border, you know, oh, up wow. into Canada with a rifle. And I, I was all, I was kind of worried or nervous that we would even be able to get across the border with everything that was happening with nine 11. Um, so I did a moose hunt that year. That was cool. You know, this past year I got to go to Spain and, and did a fallow deer in a, in a red stag. And, um, you know, I, sh I shot a, probably my, my best hunt that I did, you know, personally was a, was a mule deer down in Arizona over the counter spot and stock. And I, well, I shot that mule deer behind me on the wall with my bow. Um, and that was a tough one. Cause I had, I'd stalked him for, I went for about a mile and a half and, and, you know, down there you can use radios and your guides can walk you in. And, uh, but about halfway to him, I was probably a half mile away from him. Uh, they got up and they fed. And then when they rebedded, the guide couldn't see him. So I ended up sneaking in, stalking in and actually found him and, uh, and ended up shooting him about 30 minutes later after I stood frozen for a while. But I say all that to say I've had some hunts myself that have been cool, uh, but nothing can compare to taking my kids hunting and when my kids get get something. I mean, um, I just don't, I, I could shoot a brown bear with my bow from 10 feet and I still don't think I would uh, think that's more cool than when my kids shoot something. So you know, I, I've got a few of them, but honestly, a couple of them, it's really stick out. You know, my, my oldest daughter, who's now 18, you know, I took her on her first elk hunt when she turned 12 opening morning, it was pouring rain, just this, you know, little girl, she'd shot a couple, couple does, uh, when she was, you know, I think a year, year before, um, but we parked the truck, we started hiking in and it was weird for rifle season we there were still some bulls that were kind of late bugling mm -hmm. and so from the darkness and, and it was pouring rain it was soaking wet um you could hear these bulls bugling in the darkness the whole way hiking in and i set her up on a you know a fence post these elk were down in this kind of alfalfa field probably a mile from us um maybe not quite a mile half a mile and uh I set her up on this kind of fence post corner where I told her if she stood right in the corner of these, of these braces, she, you know, that little girl, she'd blend right into them, you know? And I said, just stand there still. And I told her I was going to sit back in some bushes that were about 10 yards behind her. And, uh, so she used to stand in there in the dark with it raining on her. And I told her, I said, these elk are going to go for timber. Uh, and if we get lucky, they're going to come to our timber, you know? And I mean, like it was written out of a book, like a movie script. Um, it was probably 10 minutes after shooting light. Here come two bulls just come kind of jogging over the hill. And then they just stop and turn broadside at, you know, 85, 90 yards. And I'm waiting for her to shoot. And of course, I'm 10 yards from her. I can't move, can't do nothing. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And I thought she's frozen up, you know. <laughs> And then finally, all of a sudden I hear click and I'd realized she had had her safety on. She was trying to shoot and she had her safety. <laughs> oh, classic. Yeah. She clicks her safety off and she ends up shooting one of those bulls. And, uh, it was super cool. She, uh, she shot bull spun and ran about probably 40 yards and stopped. And by that time I'm telling her to hit him again. And she shot him again and dropped him right there. And 
that was really that was one a really cool one um along the same vein last year uh took my boy to new mexico and a really nice guy had been following our company uh he's a guide on a on a piece of private property in new mexico and he's like i'm not calling to offer you a hunt he's like i'm offering your 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 kids a hunt cool and so we got to go down there and we you know my boy he's he's this little savage hunter loves to hunt and he had been um i've been taking him elk hunting but you know public land elk hunting with a bow in montana is hard for an adult yeah. much less a kid and uh you know hank's 14 so um we chased some bulls around for a few days and uh all of a sudden, you know, they were bugling back and forth, but they just weren't coming in. It was right on the brink of things cutting loose. And all of a sudden in the in one evening there, um, this bull just came screaming in. He was screaming his face off. And uh, my boy's a big kid. He's like 6'2". Um, and really? I was trying to video. And the whole time I've got my cell phone. I'm also trying to cow call for him to stop that bull if I need to. Um, and I'm trying to range fine. So I've, I ended up with my cell phone pointed right at his, at his back. <laughs> I got none of it on film, but you, <laughs> you could hear it. You could hear the bull screaming. And, uh, it was kind of cool because as this bull came in, there was a huge bush on our left. We were kind of hiding behind and I couldn't see the elk. And all of a sudden I see Hank draw and all I could see was a cow. And I thought he was drawn on this cow. But Hank had seen that there was a bull pushing him. And as soon as that bull stepped into that spot where that cow was, Hank shot him with his bow. Good instincts and, uh, to be prepared for that. It's good stuff. Yeah, he did a good job. So yeah, those those stories, you know, my little my little 12-year-old girl, Macy, she had she had never uh really shown any interest in going hunting with us. And uh, a couple of years ago, she came to me in midsummer. And I, I mean, I've asked her to go with us several times, never forced her or pushed her. And all of a sudden she came to me and was like, can I go deer hunting this year? I was like, absolutely. And so we, my, my, I have four kids. So my other three kids and I made it a point that the first deer of the year was all about getting Macy a deer. So that was cool. So, yeah, I, I shot a, I shot a cow elk with my boy when he was five, he was with me with my bow. <laughs> um, that was really cool. And honestly, this is a hunt that I've, that I was not on myself. Uh, last year, my 14 year old boy got himself out of bed. Um, I was still in bed and he took his bow and went for a hike to the river down in the dark, left early in the morning. He hiked down to the river and he was down there for two or three hours. And, uh, all of a sudden I get a phone call and he's whispering and he's like, dad, I was like, yeah. And he goes, can I shoot a bear? And I <laughs> no was like, way. I was like, yeah if it doesn't have cubs i said how far away is it and he goes 10 yards what yeah and i was like yeah and he goes hold on and he puts his phone down on speaker and i hear whack with his bow and he shot he shot this bear at 10 yards and killed her no um, way yeah super super old bear she wasn't going to make it through the winter it was it was pretty cool it was kind of meant to be yeah she was missing most of her teeth and it was cool but uh so that's a bunch of rambling, but honestly, it's not really one hunting story. It's just uh, kind of a culmination of taking my three girls and my boy hunting over the last six or seven years, and it's all kind of totaled up to being 
really honestly better than any any hunting story I could tell of my own you know no I totally agree <clears throat> I I've, I take my daughter out a bit um and so I had the same thing last year she's 10 so last year she's she can do the uh, youth season here in Michigan uh, for, for whitetail deer. So I took her out and I thought she didn't want to shoot a rifle or where I'm at. You can only do um, not, you can't do different rifles. So um, she's like, I don't want to do any, any firearm. I want to do a crossbow it's like shoot. Okay. So I got my dad's crossbow. I don't, I don't have one. She it's heavy. Right. And she can hardly like lift it up. So I'm, we go out to the woods and like, I brought a, like a little kind of like a shooting stick that I thought might work. I'm like, I don't really know how this is going to go. So we get out there. I find like a log. I'm like, all right, you lay, you know, we're, we're going to brush it on the ground and we'll just see what happens. And like, sure enough, like we saw like 10 deer, like, of course, and we had a fairly nice buck coming in that she would have been able to shot shoot, but the crossbow was too heavy. So as it's coming around, she's facing this way, waiting for it to just kind of come. And I'm like, don't move. And of course she's like, okay. And then she kind of turns and right, right. Then it, it flies, you know, it takes off. But yeah, I remember thinking my hands were, sh I was shaking and she, yeah. I feel like she's looking at me to be like, dad, like you do this all the time. You shouldn't be that nervous. But when she's the one that's shooting, I, I was way more nervous, way it's more. true. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when they're little, I remember my kids, you know, they'd be able to handle it now, but when they're first getting into it, your biggest concern is to not ruin them and to not, you know, you don't want to see them wound a deer and have the thing yeah. squealing or, you know, something terrible that, we, you know, we've all kind of seen, you know, we've all, we've all seen how it can go wrong out in the field. And, you know, you want those first few experiences when they're little, cause they're so impressionable. Um, you want it to go really well, you know, yeah. um, the first year, my, my daughter, Sadie, she thinks about it now and she tells the story and she laughs, but it was all a blur for her, but her first deer that she ever shot doe, she spined it. And the thing like drops and then like pushes up on its front legs and it starts to kind of do the, the desk wheel and the whole, oh, yeah. as soon as it drops, I was like, good job. And I grabbed the gun for, from her and I racked it. And I just <laughs> shot that deer again as like, <clears throat> I swear it was like, john wayne fast you know <laughs> and my my other daughter and i are just telling sadie how great she did and, and everything and she it was just like all completely a blur to her and then you know a few years later it was like yeah you uh you definitely didn't hit that deer real well but of course she went home telling everybody like oh i shot this deer and it dropped and it was all perfect you know yeah right little behind the scenes stuff going on right there yeah yeah but it's it's interesting my kids and this is kind of for all dads out there. Now that I've got kids that are, you know, 18 and 16, and they're getting towards the end of like, at least being in high school, my kids are super accomplished with sports. Um, they're all in AAU basketball and they're all in every damn sport they can be in all the time. And uh, over the last 15 years, we've, or 10 years, we've spent a ton of time in a gym playing whatever sport it was of the season. And I asked my, I've asked all my kids this now. I said, what's your, what's your favorite game you've ever played? Like, cause they've won, they've all won championships. They've all kind of had their hero moments. And I said, tell me about like the game that you remember. And not one of them can actually choose a game. They'd be like, oh, I just, I don't know. I, I like basketball or I like this or that, but none of them can remember a single game that they personally 
played that that sticks out to them. Now, if I go in the house right now and I took any of them in there and I pointed to any little basket rack buck on the wall or or asked them about a doe when they were 10, if I ask them about any hunt they've ever been on, they can tell you where we parked our camper. They can tell you what day of the hunt it was, what the weather was like, where we were, how everything went down. I mean, every hunt that they've ever been on, they can tell you every detail. Yeah. And I think as a hunter that that kind of tells us a story and shows us just how impactful hunting is and you know how special it is. Yeah. Um, because my kids now have been on a lot of just public land deer hunts, frankly, and, and quite a few elk hunts. And they even remember one of the things I did most with them when they were really little is I took them out and basically all we did was take a hike and start a fire. Yeah. And for them to go make a, a mountain house meal or a peak refuel meal <laughs> and have a little campfire and start a stump on fire was like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, it's like, pretty oh, cool. I, I'm pretty sure the only reason they wanted to go hunting was for us to go start a fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I definitely people with kids like your age, your, your daughter's age and stuff like, man, get them out there. Cause I remember us, you know, at times not going hunting or doing something because they had like a little football game or baseball or soccer or whatever it was. And last year for my boys elk was the first year I ever like made him miss sports for it, which he was all for it, but he's the kind of the star of his football team. And I was like, dude, you're going to be gone for a week, like middle of football season. It is what it is. It's the rut. Yeah. And now you ask him like, he was just asking me last night he's like I know I'm going to be a freshman and he'll probably start varsity but I was like dude second week of September we're going hunting for a week and he and Hank was like didn't even argue he's like sounds good you know so I love that well and it's it's so important now because at least even when I was growing up there was still some of that where you were kind of pushed and encouraged that way go outside like you know lock the doors send the kids outside for the day until it gets dark or whatever it's just not the case anymore um you know the, the the world that my my daughter my 10 year old's growing up in is that same push is not there uh the encouragement is not to do those things as much as other things uh more inside things and yeah she's a girl and maybe it's different or i don't know uh, but i don't want that you know i want her to be outside as much as possible getting as dirty as possible in you know whatever swamp river yeah. whatever is nearby yeah yeah we're we're fortunate we have behind our property here, there's a public fishing access behind us. So there's 500 acres behind us. That's just a bunch of Aspen trees and cottonwoods, frankly. And, uh, yeah. um, for, for the last number of years, one of my, my boy's favorite things to do is, is just, I have a, a machete that <laughs> he takes and they just go down into the woods and honestly, it's funny. One year he asked me to come back there and show me, well, actually my girl's and him they all they all said come back and look at our fort we built and I went back there and they had built a teepee but they had chopped down probably 30 aspen trees that were all about an inch in diameter inch and a half in diameter and they they literally had blisters on their hands and it looked like a family of about 100 beavers had gone through and chewed down trees two feet off the ground right like at, right at the perfect yeah. chopping height yeah and they had built like a legit little teepee out of it and they had they had like bows over it and everything and um 
you know, that's the kind of stuff like, yeah, they could cut themselves. They could do something. But honestly, that's what I grew up doing, building tree forts and out Same. riding around. And it's how I got my first set of stitches falling off my bike, carrying a, a two man saw, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so I, I agree. I think get letting your kids just go out and have fun out in the woods and be a little bit mischievous, even though they're not doing a thing wrong. It's uh, right. It's great for them. Yeah. They get that sense of freedom. And I, I remember as a kid, I'd make forts and like one time I discovered that deer had been like, I made like a lean to and that deer would go in there and bed down in my fort. And I, you know, I thought that was the coolest thing. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I just really remember cool. as a kid, my, my, we had, uh, so I'm in Michigan, kind of swampy where we were. And my, my brother and I always ended up in the swamp. I don't, I don't know why we just love to go into the swamp. So my mom was like, this is, you know, we're, we're up at the cabin. This is your last clean set of clothes. Like whatever you do, don't, don't go in the, the swamp. And I just remember it was like, I blacked out. I came to, I had lost a boot in the swamp. So I was one boot and I was just from head to toe. And that was like, almost every time I went there, you know, for some reason, I'm just in a swamp covered in mosquitoes. Yeah. No, if I'd have had a swamp growing up, I'd have been in the swamp hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Just whatever's there. Yeah. No, that's, that's so cool. It's so important. Um, and it, it's so cool to see that. I mean, you know, there are a lot of kids that spend a lot of time on video games, but there are also kids that are out there hacking, you know, woods apart with machetes and getting muddy and, and all the rest. So it's, it's good to see that you're doing that too. Yeah, I, I I know there's great kids that you know that play video games and turn out great. I I understand that, yeah. but like we we never we never allowed our kids to have any video games at all. That we've never had them. And and um, one it, you know if you came to visit us, you'd see our kids will sit around in the evening and talk with the adults. Like we have a basement with a TV down there, and they're never in the basement. They're always upstairs with the adults. They're always sitting there at the table listening to the stories or whatever telling stories and and uh very engaged you know and you know I always tell my kids we we talk a ton when we're out hunting and I, I know everybody talks about the kill and the animal and all that but um when we're out when we're out hunting I'm constantly talking to them about like for example where I take them deer hunting usually is over in the Missouri River breaks and it's where Lewis and Clark came through it's crazy rugged country it's beautiful um it's basically country that you don't go to unless you're going to hunt there's no other reason to go there there's nothing there and i tell them like there's hundreds of thousands of people around this country that would die to go mule deer hunting the missouri river breaks in montana right. for one one time and i'm like you guys get to just come out and do this you know and i don't think they'll ever fully have the appreciation until they're well into their adult years. But um, I always tell them like, look at all these people, the way they grow up in these different cities around the world. And we get to just drive a few hours from our house and set up a camper in the Missouri river breaks and, and deer hunt. And we talk a ton about, you know, taking care of the ranchers lands we go on. If it's like a block management area and talk about the deer and, uh, why we pass up certain bucks, you know, um, to let them grow. And it's just, or why maybe like when we go over there, we don't shoot mule deer does because mule deer are having a tough time. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have, we raise beef. We have a couple, my kids have 4-H animals. So they, they okay. have 4-H steers. My little girl raises a 4-H pig. 
each year. So we butcher our own beef and, and pigs. And uh, so we don't really need the meat as much. So like, it's different if you're, if that's what you need to eat, then shoot a meal deer dough. But like sure. for us, if we go hunt for a week and we don't shoot anything because we don't find the right animal, that's all good. It's a part of preserving them for next year. Yeah. So there's a lot of lessons about that navigation, you know, making my kids, you know, like, Hey, where's the truck? Walk us back to the truck. And, you know, so I think there's just so many lessons that come from hunting that, uh, very few kids really get that opportunity these days, you know? Oh, just even figuring problem solving, you know, I mean, just learning from what, how adults are and how they do and be, um, that's huge. And, mm -hmm. uh, you're right. That is uh, a lot of people would kill to go, you know, hunt the Missouri breaks, uh, once in their life, you know, let alone all the time. That's, that's really cool. Right. Well, um, we're coming up on time here. Um, like I said, thank you for coming on. Um, but for people who want to follow along, I know you guys kind of do an interesting way of releasing knives. Do you want to talk about that and where maybe where people can follow and, and get them themselves one too? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, we've bootstrapped this company from the beginning and not taken outside investment or money, or I didn't want to take a bunch of debt and put my family at risk. So, you know, we kind of just started making as many knives as I could afford to make. And then we sold those. And then when I could afford to make more, we made more. And so we kind of stumbled on the drop method as far as just those were the amount of knives we had and we sold them. And, you know, we've been very fortunate to have this company kind of take off. And so, over the last couple of years, we've ramped those numbers up more and more. And we have drops where we, you know, every Thursday night, uh, however, however many knives we've made of a certain model, we put those up for sale. Uh, now, where this did change just a little bit in the last week is we finally got to the point where we have our Blackfoot model in stock all the time. Yeah. And, you know, we've, I think a lot of people thought that we're like trying to be sold out all the time or didn't want to have knives available. Trust me. Like if you want to buy a knife for your brother, I want there to be a knife available on our website. So, uh, we finally got to that point. So you can go onto our website or Montana knife company.com and, and get a Blackfoot. Our other models, uh, we plan on getting in stock at some point, but we still do our drop methods. So every Thursday night at, you know, nine o'clock Eastern time, uh, you know, we'll have a new drop. And so, you know, we'll make however many knives it is and we'll put them up for sale. So that's kind of how you get them right now. That's exciting that way. I'll say it's like the consumer side. It's always like, oh, what's coming up next? You know, it's a, it's a good way to drive demand. And like, it, it is exciting. It gets me excited too. So very yeah, cool. it's been, it's been a, a happy accident. I mean, it's definitely driven a lot of demand and it's driven a lot of excitement and talk about our brand and um but honestly it's all been completely organic and it's um it's just been driven by individual people hopping on there and buying knives which i i could not appreciate more it's been really cool so yeah no that's that's so where, where can people kind of find these drops and follow along for this yeah so our website montananifecompany.com uh, follow on along on our Instagram, uh, you know, just at Montana Knife Company. My personal Instagram is Josh Smith Knives. That's you're going to get a little bit more of a backside feel of like uh, of of the company, the kind of the back end, and also um, you know just my family and more personal. Uh, you know, the MKC is a little bit more of the business oriented posts and stuff. Um, 
you know, I encourage people to sign up for our email list on our website, because that's really the best way to know, you know, get an email about what's coming that week. Um, maybe what show we're going to be at, or, you know, I just started, uh, restarted my, my podcast, uh, the Josh Smith show. Um, so if you're on our email list, you're going to find out about all that. Excellent. Well, Hey, I appreciate you coming on. Like everybody check it out. Uh, their knives are awesome. Uh, we've definitely got some, um, here uh in michigan with us and we're going to be taking him to alaska here pretty soon and turkey hunting and deer hunting and all the other other stuff we get ourselves into so love it um thank you again josh for coming on really appreciate your time and everybody go check them out hey everybody thanks for listening to this episode we really do appreciate it if you want to go on to any kind of social media platform give us a like share subscribe you know it really help us out keeps the train rolling and if you guys really like what you're listening here, give us a five-star Either way, if, even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like review. it, five stars. That'd Helps everyone cool. out. We'll see you out there.